Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you, Newell. It's good to be back with you. Doc, let's start with a flu update. Where do we stand? No, we're doing okay. Um, we peaked around uh, pretty close to New Year's. And has been declining uh, both in both in flu and, and, and COVID cases rather consistently since then. We're at a point now where just shy of uh, about one in ten ER patients across the state are, are in there because of a respiratory virus. Um, we're no longer leading the nation. There's a handful of states that have caught up with us, and a few that have surpassed us. And um, our downward progress slowed a little bit the past two weeks, which is understandable given Mardi Gras and gatherings and so forth. But we're still going down, so I think we're in a good place. And I think, I, you know, I think in a large sense, we've been pretty fortuitous this flu season, just the way the timing has played out for us. Um, and on on the horizon, any other variants that have uh, has anybody's attention at the present time? It's kind of more the same. So about 90% of the cases now are this JN.1 variant. This is another in what's become a long litany of sub-variants of the Omicron sub-variant. Um, Omicron has really kind of taken over. And that's, you know, it's kind of good news in one sense, and that's because the, 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 the vaccines and the boosters now are tailored specifically to Omicron. So the fact that we haven't mutated beyond the Omicron family, we've kept it all within this larger Omicron family, is good. It means that the vaccines are holding up pretty well. Actually, data came out earlier this week that showed the vaccines did better than expected, not just in preventing um, hospitalizations and death, but actually in preventing symptomatic infection, which is not something they had been performing well in before, you know, uh, since the initial uh, strand came out um, at the early part of the pandemic. So, you know, there's going to be always new variants, but so far they've been in this Omicron family. There hasn't been a real curveball, and that's made it rather predictable. So, um, I think that's relatively good news. And this JN1 that we're seeing now, there's nothing that unique about it. The symptoms are rather the same. Um, the therapies, Paxlovid, 
they still work just as well. So no game changers yet. Doc, I was reading an article the other day about the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. That's the one folks that were giving guidance on the COVID-19 vaccines and how they should be administered. They only have about half of the normal number of members on that committee, no chairperson uh, at the present time, and four of the seven remaining members are slated to end their tenure at the end of June. And it's, look, they're saying that there's been no movement to replace any of these folks. Is there a shift in the focus, or is CDC wanting to do something else, or how's this going to work? Yeah, I saw that, too. This is a real head-scratcher. No, it's a, it's a, the, the ACIP committee, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, is a CDC body that makes formal recommendations for the nation on what vaccines are recommended, what people should get. And anyone that's taken their kid to the pediatrician office is, in some sense, familiar with their work because the vaccine schedule that, that we all you know, vaccinate our kids according to is a product of this ACIP committee. It's an incredibly important committee. It's got usually 15 people. I think eight slots are open now, including the chair, as you point out. And I really don't know why. From what I understand, from what I've heard, the CDC has forwarded quite some time ago their nominated individuals to, to the larger department, to federal HHS, and HHS just hasn't moved on it. And, you know, now we're in an election year. Vaccine skepticism is, you know, one of the topics that's become a campaign issue. I would really like to see this committee get fully staffed with a chairperson and get onto its work, you know, well ahead of the election and any potential transition in government. Let them do, do their work. So this is a head scratcher. I think um, – you know, we've talked about the new CDC director, Mandy Cohen, and, and I, I'm a fan of her. I think she's very smart and particularly savvy. She, she knows how to get things done in Washington. She's been an asset for the CDC so far. CDC needed it. But she's got to get on this because this is, this is an important committee, and, and we need to be strong, particularly with the rhetoric that's circling around this election cycle. But doesn't correct me if I'm wrong. This committee is also kind of a check on on what manufacturers and their representations as it relates to the alignment uh, with the most recent COVID variant and and the vaccines that they want to bring to market. Right. In a sense, absolutely. Look, I mean, the vaccine manufacturers, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, if they had their way, <laughs> recommendations for their vaccines would be broad. I mean, they, they want the largest market possible. So they have a lot of lobbyists that try and expand the, the body of individuals who would be recommended to get a vaccine, like you would expect any lobbyist in that position to do. That's just the reality of it. It's the job of this committee, which is made up of experts, pediatricians, immunologists, um, researchers, to actually look at the data, to look with a very critical eye at the studies that the vaccine manufacturers sponsored, compare that to studies that were truly financially independent, and to make the best decision on behalf of the American people. You're absolutely right. It's a very important counterbalance to 
to whatever information the vaccine manufacturers are putting in front of people. And it has to be staffed with qualified individuals. I've known a number of people that have been on this committee and they've been um, just, you know, top of the game, world renowned, highly respected clinicians and researchers um, to have the committee half staffed right now. <laughs> it's really taken the kneecaps out of its work. Yeah, it's kind of it's really mystifying. Uh, but what's also mystifying to me, I mean, this is not just about covid. Right. I mean, this is about a whole lot of stuff. And and we're kind of on a new frontier relative to mRNA, uh, you know, as it uh, applies to these immunizations. It would seem to me that we're this is a, a period of time where we want to make sure that this committee would be as robust as robust could be. Yeah. I mean, COVID is like less than one percent of what this committee does. We talked a lot about the ACIP committee during COVID, and a lot of people learned about it probably for the first time just because of the pandemic. But COVID is actually a very, very small part of what they do. You know, you take a step back, we're looking at declining childhood vaccination rates around the country. Um, we just got over a measles outbreak in Philadelphia. Um, there's a measles outbreak in other parts of the country, Ohio, in recent years as well. Um, and as you point out, the technology around vaccines is moving faster than really ever. And, and you know, the, the mRNA platform holds a lot of promise, but it, it, it deserves appropriate scrutiny. And this is the body to do that. <laughs> so this is, this is probably the worst time I could ever think of to have um, a, really a half-staff committee, you know, right now. It's, it's, it's a very crucial time when you think about what's ahead and what the challenges are around vaccines. Yeah. Let's pivot, Doc, if you don't mind, to the Mardi Gras season. Uh, you, as an ER doctor, uh, I know y'all are always rocking and rolling during that season, <laughs> during yeah. that season historically. How is this panning out thus far for you guys? Very busy. Very busy. I mean, this is um, ERs around the country. This is not just the Louisiana thing. ERs around the country are busier than they ever have been. The, the, the staffing supply is still strained, recovering from COVID. There are a lot of forces at play. And if anyone has had to go to the ER, unfortunately, any ER recently, you know, they probably saw a lot of people in the waiting room. So that's the situation that play coming into the pandemic here. In New Orleans, it's a little bit more taxed because Tulane Hospital recently closed down. So they have a freestanding ER, but um, some of the more higher acuity cases like strokes, et cetera, they try their best to route away from that. So all that said, it's a very, very busy time. And, um, you know, as you would imagine, volume goes up during Carnival. There's a lot of people in town. There's a lot of people doing things. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you can avoid getting injured and coming in, it's <laughs> really to your benefit right now because the hospitals are all pretty taxed. Uh, any advice to our parade goers about uh, their safety, maintaining their safety? What what, should, what precautionary measures should they take? So I think about the injuries we see in Mardi Gras as big injuries and small injuries. The small injuries I think people know about, um, you know, getting hit with a bag of beads, um, tripping and falling, alcohol-related injuries. We see a ton of that 
in Mardi Gras. And the advice for that is pretty constant. I mean, keep your wits about you. If the flow's going by, please keep an eye on what people are throwing. Be careful to protect children. If you're riding in a parade, do not throw uh, whole bags of uh, unopened bags of bulk beads. Um, look where you're throwing. You know, a lot of common sense stuff. I'll, I'll tell you what really keeps me up at night, both as an ER doc and as a father, is uh, I'm scared to death that, that a kid's going to get pulled under a float. You know, w- we had it happen to a couple adults in years past. I mean, everyone remembers that. It got well publicized. Um, I get really, really nervous when I see crowds of people getting up close to the float as it's moving by. All it takes is one slip, someone slipping on a bead on the ground or somebody reaching for a throw um, for a kid. You know, it could be dark. So my ask to folks is please give those floats some space. And, and, And if you see any kid getting close to a float that's moving, please, please pull them back. I really think it's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I mean, I shouldn't say it's funny, but it's interesting. When a float slows down, uh, it's almost as if they feel like their safety goes up, right, Um, because of the speed of the float. And it's really to the contrary because everybody steps up and gets closer to the float when it slows down. And and that's when you're most at risk, I think. I I think you're right. And when it stops, too, I mean – you know, if you're watching the float, even if you're riding on the float, you have no idea when it's going to start moving again. They don't, they don't give a signal. They just start rolling. And, um, you know, it gets really crowded around these floats, and the ground is not even. You've got a curb, and then you've got a whole bunch of throws on the ground for people to slip on. So um, you, we, we really pride ourselves in New Orleans that we throw a party of this size and do it well. And we do do it well. The cops do a great job. I mean, everyone does a great job. And by and large, Carnival, for the amount of people that come in, is an incredibly safe experience. I'll just say this is one element of it. It's people, particularly kids, getting caught under a float that that really makes me nervous. And so I I always try when I'm at the parade to make sure the kids around me are, are, you know, being clear of that float. But you're right. When it slows down, people start throwing more throws. There's this false sense of security, and uh, it's, I think it's a trap. So, Doc, uh, as the proud father of two young kids, right? That's right. <laughs> two, two young kids. Have you, have you embarked on the latter landscape yet? <laughs> we, uh, we don't own one. We, we, we hung out with some friends at, at a ladder. Last weekend, my, my four-year-old daughter was a little bit too afraid to get up there. My two-year-old son, as you might imagine, just just ate it up and, and couldn't even get him off. And by the time he got him off, he was you couldn't even see the kid's neck. He was just covered in beads. So he had a good time. And 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 you thought you thought uh, doing a three-hour surgery in the ER was tiring. Get up on that ladder in all the awkward positions that you're in. You find out that the surgery may have been a cakewalk, right? Oh, that's right. Well, sorry, I was happy to have the kid up there because it means he wasn't running around. I got yeah. so yeah. nervous around the float. I was happy to have him in <laughs> But it's funny how your perspective changes in a very quick fashion, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. At least out of the coin real quick. Yeah. Doc, <laughs> final thoughts? Well, listen, I, you know, we've got a week left of the Mardi Gras season. The weather's going to be pretty good. I think 
So, you know, have a good time, be safe, and, um, you know, let's show our visitors around here what we do best. So have a great Mardi Gras, Joel. You have a great Mardi Gras season as well, uh, and uh, we wish you the best. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We always appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Noel. That's Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. We will be right back, folks. 504-260-1870. When we return, we'll visit with Joe Heron Muller, Unity Director, Community Engagement of Unity Greater New Orleans. We'll talk about the process of removing homeless encampments around the city and how's that going as we lead up to Mardi Gras. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. We're joined by Joe Heron Muller, uh, Director of Community Engagement for Unity of Greater New Orleans. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Noel. Uh, Joe, if we could start, uh, if just a, a description of the landscape, where we are as it relates to homeless encampments. I know there's a couple of looming deadlines, I believe one being tomorrow, and where we stand on that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there are a number of encampments um, uh, throughout the city, you know, people experiencing homelessness. Um, some stay in encampments, some stay um, you know, on their own outside of encampments, some stay in shelters. But uh, in particular, with regards to the Treme encampment, um, Unity and our partners have already housed 51 individuals from that encampment since November. Um, and and to, to say that we've housed them, that means that we've uh, verified their disability. Um, we've uh, made um, navigated them to housing programs to help them pick out um, housing that works for them. And we continue to work with them after they're in housing to make sure that they stay stably housed by getting them an income, um, helping them with medical appointments and so forth. When you refer to housing programs, I'm sure that that is made up of a number of different options. Could you Can you describe that for us? Yeah, there's two main types of housing programs that, um, that Unity provides uh, through federal and state uh, grant support. Um, those are uh, rapid rehousing programs. These are programs for folks who um, 
with uh, the short-term rental assistance, usually six to 18 months or, or sometimes a little more, uh, I will be able to afford their own apartment on their own um, and maintain stable housing. And then we have permanent supportive housing, and those are programs for people with disabilities. And uh, New Orleans uh, homeless residents um, and Jefferson homeless residents are uh, very um, disabled. There's a very high rate of disability, uh, 91% of people experiencing homelessness are disabled. And so they, uh, when they've been homeless for a year or longer and have that disability, we can get them into permanent supportive housing, which maintains ongoing rent support and uh, case management services to make sure that people have income, um, that they're paying a portion of that income towards their own rent and, and that they stay housed and don't become homeless again. Joe, are we still utilizing hotels anywhere in the city? Uh, uh, you know, after uh, during the during you, during the time of uh, COVID in 2020 and 2021, um, we uh, were able to uh, make use of FEMA resources to uh, um, get uh, 1,013 people off the streets and into hotels. And um, over 80 percent of those people remain permanently housed afterwards. Um, that program is not ongoing, um, but there may be other uh, projects um, relative to this encampment initiative. Um, that may house folks on a short-term basis. But the, the ultimate destination of folks who are unhoused is, is, is permanent homes and apartments and houses uh, across the community because that's where um, folks want to go, and that's what really um, solves the problem of homelessness. In the not-too-distant past, the city had embarked upon developing a place, I guess uh, transitional housing is what they called it. Is that still alive and well? Uh, the, the city has a, a low barrier shelter, um, and that uh, is still operating. Uh, however, it, its capacity, even at, um, I think it's maximum of up to 300 or, or maybe even more beds, um, is not enough to meet the need of the, the total unsheltered population of New Orleans. First of all, that stays full um, regularly. I mean, although people move in and out, it, it, it has a very high occupancy rate, as do all the other shelters. Um on any given night, there's probably about a thousand people in shelter, and another 500 uh, New Orleanians um, who are unable to access shelter. In terms of transitional housing, that's a, um, a technical term um, for a, a, a specific type of housing program um, um, that includes long-term support, but it's not um, in and of itself. It's not permanent housing, and it's not something that the federal government. Um, really preferentially funds any longer. Joe, uh, how, uh, when you look back over the uh, past several months, I mean, I know that there's been this very um, robust collaborative effort, um, bringing a lot of resources to the forefront. On a scale of one to 10, where, where would you grade where you guys are right now? I think we're doing a uh, a really uh, good job. I mean, it's it's no small feat to house um, the folks that we've already assisted with housing. The residents that we've engaged with is the Tremaine Cameron, for instance, um, who have not yet uh, acquired housing, um, are being navigated to housing, which means that they're being shown apartments. Um, um, we're working through the process of getting them into housing. I think I think it's a it's been a, a a challenging experiment, but it's not uh, our first time doing this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, back in 2008, Unity um, succeeded 
in um, closing down two very large downtown encampments um, by housing 452 people. And as I mentioned before, we had a similar experience going back as recently as 2020 and 2021 um, in addressing encampment and street homelessness um, during the public health emergency. So um, I, I think that this is the beginning of a new project because the inflow into homelessness due to high rents continues. Um, we, we need a solution that will create permanent uh, af- uh, permanent affordable opportunities. You know, in other words, new affordable opportunities within our communities for folks to prevent people from becoming homeless in the future. I know that there's been uh, kind of a new frontier with workforce housing. Um, is that something that works to y'all's benefit? Workforce housing is important. You know, um, it's, it comes as a surprise, but many, many people who are homeless uh, work uh, full-time jobs in some cases, part-time jobs in others. And those are the fo- sorts of folks that we get into our um, rapid rehousing programs. Um, that is really important, um, and, and we need more of that. Um, we need housing, without trying to get too technical, that's affordable to people who make, um, you know, less than 30% of the area median income. Um, that um, is a low wage, a low, a low income, but there needs to be housing that's affordable to folks in that range. And that's a, a range that has been particularly difficult for private developers to create housing um, that's profitable to them in that range. And, and that's where we need um, new resources, especially um, at this time. Um. Obviously, a year from today or a little bit more than that, maybe, uh, Super Bowl's here. Anticipated pressure? Uh, No, I don't think so. Um, We know that uh, folks who are homeless need to address their their homelessness addressed by housing. And we have been doing that as an agency um, for 32 years. Um, That is our mission, and that's not going to change um, relative to the Super Bowl. We've had Super Bowls um, held in New Orleans in that time frame already. Um, so, right. no, not a, no additional pressure as a result of that. If you had, if, if there was one thing that somebody could change for you uh, on a wish list, what, what would it be for, for well, the folks at Unity? Yeah, we really need um, more uh, availability, and we really need more access to housing. Um, and that means landlords um, in Orleans and Jefferson Parishes and all in the surrounding communities who are who are interested and willing to uh, take the voucher, who want to uh, house um, folks who need housing and who will do well in housing. Because um, folks who are homeless today were not homeless um, their whole lives. They've um, lived in housing before, and they've done well in housing. And with the right support, they can continue to do well. So we really, um, you know, there's no silver bullet, um, but that's a a big thing that we want to encourage folks um, who manage properties and who own properties to reach out to us um, so that we can we can fill your vacancies. Earlier in the interview, you you said that 91 percent of homeless people have some kind of disability of that percentage of folks. how much of that would be in the mental health field? I um, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure exactly how many um, have 
mental health disabilities versus other physical health disabilities. I would say that the folks who rise to the level of our attention and who prioritization are folks who um, usually have multiple co-occurring disabilities. Um, right. um, uh, I, I'm looking here, you know, in 2022, um, 75% of folks had a serious mental uh, illness. So, um, so a very high, a very high percentage um, have serious mental illness. But there's often very other co-occurring disabilities that have to do with hypertension. Um, you know, living on the street can be very stressful, and it can ex- exacerbate a lot of other um, physical health conditions um, that affect people's lives as well. I really was asking that question, you know, in the context of, and, and you know, my previous walk of life in, in law enforcement, what we saw when the mental health delivery system was disrupted, it reveals itself in a community in, in a lot of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And that and that disruption, whether it be lack of funding, whether it be, you know, any number of things, and typically you don't see a lot of advocates, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Sure. But it, it but it hurts the it hurts a community in a lot of ways. It's really hard to recover from, right? That that's very true, and that's why um, it's it's really important that um, the the mental health um, care system be, um, you know, be expanded, be be strengthened in our state. And a lot of the mental health care, especially for people who are poor, comes through um, through Medicaid. Um, and and that's what uh, we we are able. That's what, how we're able to keep folks in housing. Um, at at any given time, Unity um, pays for and and supports uh, folks or su- subsidizes the housing of over three thousand five hundred people in our community. And those folks would likely become homeless again if not for the supportive services that we offer, uh, which include. Um, mental health services and access to those types of services. So, yeah, that's really very, very important um, that we you know, strengthen uh, people's access to that and keep uh, their access um, available, um, you know, um, be- because that's what that's what's good, not just for those people who have experienced homelessness, but for the whole community. Now, I think you said earlier there's a small minority of folks that, that want to stay homeless, right? Um, what are the options that are truly available there? Well, I I would, I would say, you know, um, it's a very small uh, percentage of folks who want to stay homeless. I actually, I would say in in my experience, um, over the years, uh, it's, it's almost too small to even talk about because, uh, when folks are presented with the right, uh, housing that is uh, safe, secure, and affordable, um, then they take it in almost every case. Now, when folks are dealing with serious mental health uh, challenges, um, our uh, support network, our our supportive service providers work with them, our outreach workers to help them see and understand that that safe, secure housing is safe and secure. They might not see that because of their disability or their condition. But we have a long history of working with folks, and it's really, truly transformative. Um, I'm thinking of a guy um, who had spent uh, many, many years, um, probably close to a decade on the street. And after um, getting into housing, which uh, took many years of trust building with a 
uh, outreach worker who um, had known him as a child and they had grown up in the same neighborhood, um, helped him find a house. And, and through that, he was able to stabilize his mental health condition, reconnect with his daughter um, and, and really live a, a, a life that contributed to his neighborhood, that was uh, reestablished those family connections. And really the, the key to all that was the housing, which, which stabilized his life. Yep. It's amazing how sometimes there's, um, at least in my experience in a lot of cases, is like one little nuance that, that has the whole kind of house of cards, you know, figuratively speaking, tumbling down, right? Mm-hmm. And and the nuance is not always readily apparent, right? It's And, and in some cases, it, it very much presents itself in a real covert way. And I think that's what makes a lot of these cases that, that you're talking about even all the more difficult. Would you agree? Yeah, I think when it, when it comes to um, working uh, and addressing homelessness, there's there's you know it has to be approached in a twofold manner. One, we have to address the structures that lead to um, people becoming unhoused, people who were previously homeless becoming unhoused, and a lot of that has to do with affordability and income. Um, when you have persistently low incomes and rising uh, rental and housing costs, that's going to drive people into homelessness. But when you're dealing with folks who have become unhoused and getting them back into housing, um, it's really about uh, very uh, sensitive, um, detailed um, case management services, attentive to people's concerns and problems and uh, and willing to um, look for creative solutions to address those things on a very personal basis because everyone's story and situation is as highly unique. Yeah. I know uh, there was a lot of chatter about this deadline tomorrow with Treme. Is that something that's going to be reached or no? I think when it comes to the closure maintenance uh, uh, and the closure of the encampment, that's really the city's responsibility. Our role um, in the process is um, uh, verifying folks' disability and homelessness, matching folks to housing, um, finding landlords and apartments, inspecting the apartments, making sure they're in good conditions, so that people are living in quality housing. And then, you know, once they've leased up, providing them with furnishing and household goods so that um, they're able to make that transition well and to, to settle into a, a, their, their new homes. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us, uh, providing a lot of the backdrop uh, to this challenge. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate the work that you guys do. Great, and thank you very much for uh, highlighting this issue. And, and uh, if, I, if I may, I really want to invite the public who are interested in uh, – uh, participating or lending a hand to this. Um, they can donate household goods or furniture um, to the Unity uh, Warehouse uh, by calling 483-9300. That's the 504 area code. Or um, by um, donating through the Unity website and earmarking those donations for client uh, supplies at unitygno.org. Unitygno.org. All righty. Thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate it. Have a great Mardi Gras season. Thank you. Same to you, Newell. It's Joe Heron-Muller, Director of Community Engagement for Unity GNO. We'll be right back, folks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Folks, just a reminder, on Mardi Gras Day, join the crew of WWL for wall-to-wall coverage of the greatest free show on earth. We'll kick off our coverage at 8 a.m. with Tommy Tucker and Linda Cassidy, followed by myself and Scoot. We'll be on from 11 to 2, all live from New Orleans and Company on St. Charles Avenue in the heart of the party. Don't miss the real-time coverage of Zulu and Rex and all the sight sounds of Mardi Gras from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. presented by our amazing sponsors, Bromart, Bud Light, Logo Express, Home Bank, and our presenting sponsor, LCMC Health, keeping you well on WWL. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. When we come back after the break, folks, we'll visit with Tan Trung, WWL multimedia journalist. He's released another podcast, and this one we will be addressing the crew of Endymion. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.